You are listening to audio from the Mariner campus of CA Church, located in Coquitlam, British Columbia. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. All right, friends. Uh, I encourage you to make your way back to your seats. And at this time, I'm going to invite up Andrew. He's going to read our passage of Scripture for us this morning. So, Andrew, why don't you take it away, man? Hi, good morning, everyone. If you are able and willing, would you stand with me as we read this passage together? From Matthew 6, 19 through 34. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the, lamp of the body. So then, in your eye, if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for, neither he will hate, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your body as to what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the sky, that they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather crops into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more important than they? And which of you, by worrying, can add a single day to his lifespan? And why are you so worried about clothing? Notice how the lilies of the field grow, and they do not labor, nor do they spend thread for cloth. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow, is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, what are we to eat, or what are we to drink, or what are we to wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has its en- enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Andrew. Appreciate it, man. You guys can have a seat. Hey, thank you for being here today. Uh, my name is John. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad that you can uh, be with us on this a beautiful sunny day. Um, we get to speak about one of my favorite passages of scripture today, uh, and maybe this is for you as well, Jesus' discourse on worry. And there is, there's a lot that we can say about this, but before we go any further, I just want to pray for us, if that's okay. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for its timeless relevance, speaking Out of 2,000 years into our very moment where so many of us are overcome by worry, Lord, you are there, and you know, and you're helping us, and you're walking with us. So thank you for your word today, and I pray uh, we would hear what you have to say. Uh, In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, today, I want to talk to you about worry. It is what the the topic of Jesus' preaching is about. Um, But before we go any further, I just want to make a note of something, um, because worry is a a 
overused word in a lot of ways. Specifically, the kind of worry that Jesus is talking about when he's preaching in this part of his sermon is about everyday worry. Okay? It's not actually referring to uh, maybe an anxiety disorder or a mental health issue. Um, even though worry does feed into those things, right? Everyday worries do feed into struggles that many of us face. Um, Jesus is talking about a specific kind of worry, the general worry that we all face. Uh, William Inga, who's a novelist, um, spoke about the kind of worry Jesus is talking about. In one of his books, he said, uh, worry is a thin stream of fear that trickles through the mind. If encouraged, it'll cut a channel so wide that all other thoughts will be drowned in it. Worry is a powerful thing. It's powerful. And it does start small. But worry has the ability to stop us in our tracks. You know, it has the ability to paralyze us. I was uh, recently on a flight from Abbotsford, or sorry, from Calgary to Abbotsford. And it was probably the loudest plane I've ever been on. Have you guys been on a flare airplane? And it was, so, it was so loud. It was just, I just wanted the flight to be over, right? And uh, we hit a little bit too much turbulence. Maybe you've been there. And the whole plane shakes and poof, it was silent, right? Even the crying kids stopped crying because worry is powerful. Worry is powerful. And Jesus knows this, and this is why Jesus is speaking about it. And I believe if Jesus were asked the question, Lord, uh, if you're teaching me how to be a human, you're teaching me what it means to follow you, then you got to help me with my worry. you got to help me figure out how to deal with my worry. What do I do? And I, I feel like Jesus would answer this way. Okay, yes, I have the answer. Okay, but for us to, I need for us to get on the same page. Before I give you that answer so you can hear it, I want to talk to you about how I see you. Okay, what, what is a human? How do I see you? And then once we're on the same page, then I think you'll be able to hear my answer. We worry, and so Jesus does answer how to deal with our worry, how to overcome our worry. And so I do want to shape the sermon really as uh, Jesus' uh, preaching is shaped, Uh, So if you have a Bible or there's one in front of you, it would be helpful to follow along. Um, So you can grab that right now. We're in Matthew 6, starting in verse 19. And from verse 19 to 25 is the first part of Jesus' talk. And he actually gives us three word pictures. Okay, he says, this is what a human is. This is how I see you. That's the first part. And then from verse 25 onward, he says, okay, now that we're on the same page, let me tell you about worry and how to deal with it. So then, Jesus, what makes us a human? How do you see me? What is it that you want to tell me? He's going to show us three things, three word pictures. Number one, we are treasurers. Number two, we are seers. And number three, we are servants. So we are treasurers. Starting in verse 19, it says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth or rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where the thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, so this is what Jesus has to say about treasuring. I think when most people hear this, when I grew up in church and hearing this this passage, I used to think that Jesus was getting after me uh, about treasuring things. I don't know if that's you. 
It almost seems like Jesus is getting after us for treasuring things, but that's actually not the case. And I want you to really listen closely to what Jesus is saying. Jesus is showing us, actually the opposite's true. (laughs) You're a human, which means you're a treasurer. You're a human, which means you're a treasurer, and that's a very good thing. The problem is not the treasurer. The problem, sorry, yeah, the problem is not the fact that you like to treasure things. The problem itself is the treasure that you are doing it to. What are you treasuring? That's the problem that Jesus is speaking to us about. He's saying, look, whatever you treasure, that's what your heart loves. That's what, you, that's what you give yourself to. I once heard it said that the thing that you love is the most contagious thing about you, okay? So maybe you don't actually know what you love, what you treasure. Look at your life. What's the most contagious thing about you? That's really what you treasure. That's really what you love. Jesus is saying, look, whatever you treasure, that's what your heart loves. So make sure that what you are treasuring is worth it. Is it worth it? Invest your heart's love and affection in treasure that is secure. Okay, now that we have that context, let's read that again. Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but, listen, but do store up treasure for yourselves in heaven. Okay, where moth and rust don't destroy, where thieves don't break in and steal. Yes, you should treasure, that's a good thing. You're a human, you're a treasurer, but... I don't want you to treasure things that are insecure. Jesus uses three word pictures where moths and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, where these things that can break and and destroy the treasure that we have stored up. Jesus is saying, why are you doing that? It's a waste of of who you are. You're a treasurer. Treasure the right thing. What Jesus is doing, he's not shaming us for loving things. He's getting after us for being materialistic. Right? He said, iPad in hand. <laughs> he, he's, he's getting after us for being materialistic. He's getting after us for loving unimportant things too much and important things too little. Saying, you're a treasurer. What are you treasuring? Everything else, everything, what you must treasure is, he, he tells us in the, in the second last verse, in verse 33, he says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So what should we treasure, Lord? Not materialistic things, not things that can leave us, not things that are insecure, but instead the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because this is the only thing that is secure. Moths can't destroy it. Rust can't destroy it. Thieves can't break in and steal it. When scripture experts are talking about what those images mean, moths and rusts and thieves, what, what they think Jesus is saying is that that moss represents nature, the natural decay of the items that we choose to, to treasure. Or um, rust is time wearing down these precious things that we love and have treasured. Or pe- thieves breaking in and stealing and people taking things away from us that we have treasured. Jesus says all of those things, don't treasure them. Treasure the kingdom. You wanting to treasure something is not the problem. That's what makes you human. It's what you treasure that Jesus is pointing to. So, who will have your heart? What will have your heart? The second thing Jesus teaches us about being a human is that he says we are seers. He says we're seers. 
He says the eye, in verse 22, he says the eye, of the, the eye is the lamp of the body. So then, if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Here Jesus is talking about the different ways that you and I see in different lighting. <laughs> okay? When things are lit well, we can see what is meant to be highlighted. We can see things properly as they ought to be lit. Right? All the photographers said, amen. Amen. Right? When things are lit well, that's what it, we want to see things in their proper light. We want, and Jesus is saying, yes, you're, the problem is not that you're a seer. The problem is the light that you are trying to see in. Being a human means having a strong natural reliance on sight. A strong natural reliance on sight physically and spiritually. My family and I like to uh, vacation in Florida when we can. Uh, but be forewarned, if you have not been, Florida is a wonderful place, but it's also a crazy place, okay? Florida is a crazy place. And one of the things about it, about Florida that makes it crazy, is its helmet laws for motorcyclists, okay? So you, in, in Florida, you can ride a motorcycle without a helmet. It is absolutely legal, and it's crazy. Uh, so when we were in Daytona, I went and I rented, I went to the Harley store and I rented a motorcycle, and they asked me if I wanted a helmet. And I said, yes, okay? You're like, oh, phew, oh my goodness. Yes, yes, John, you almost lost credibility with me, man. No, I said yes. But then they asked me, do you have any eye protection? I was like, no, I don't. And they're like, ah, oh, can't let you get on the bike. I was like, I'm sorry, what? No, like, I, yeah, you just, it's illegal to ride in, in Florida without eye protection. I was, like, I was like, you gotta be kidding me, man. He's like, he's like, no, I'm serious. Like, you, you need the eye protection? I was like, okay, how much are the glasses? They're like, oh, these dollar store glasses are 50 bucks. I'm like, oh, okay, great. Nice, right? But why? Why, why would that be? Okay, obviously helmets should be legal and everywhere. We should have helmets. But also, when you're riding a motorcycle at 50 miles an hour and a piece of dust goes in your eye, you are an accident waiting to happen. You're a ticking time bomb. And so they legislate glasses, but not a helmet. And what I'm trying to show you is the importance of your sight, right? Humans are seers, and that, that's a good thing, naturally. We're also seers spiritually, and this is what Jesus is getting at. If your spiritual eyesight is bad, if you got dust in your eyes, then everything about you will be full of darkness. You won't know where you're going. The problem is not that you rely on your sight. The problem is that you need light, what kind of light are you seeing? You can't see well in the dark. Are you having trouble treasuring the right things? Does your heart long for materialistic things? Do you put so much value on unimportant things? Are you not seeing clearly? What kind of light are you looking at the world through? I'm reminded of what um, C.S. Lewis said, one of his famous quotes, he says, I believe in God as I believe in the sun. For by it, I see everything else. I believe in God as I believe in the Son. For by it, I see everything else. And C.S. Lewis is not here, okay? So let me tell you what I think he means. The story, he's talking about the story of God. What does it mean to see the world through God? 
to see the world through the story of God, who God is and what he has said, what he has said about what it means to be a human, what he has said, what it means to love well, what he has said about marriage, about family, about who you are. It's a coherent story that makes sense of the reality that we face. This is a view of the world. It's a way of seeing things. And so Jesus is actually talking about our worldview when he, when he says, you can't see things properly. The way you're viewing the world is darkened. Why would you walk in the dark? Why would you walk in the dark? Maybe you'd rather go another way, right? Maybe you see the worldview of G, that Jesus presents and loving the kingdom and his gospel and you, you don't want to follow this way. I believe Jesus would ask you, as a good Jewish rabbi would ask you a question, right? He would say, then what light are you seeing the world in? How do you know how much value to give to something? How do you know how much value to give to a human life? How, much val- how do you know how much love to give in a specific way? How do you know how to give, how to care? What, what gives you the light to see the world through? It's not, it's not that we're seers that Jesus is upset. It's the, it's the light that we're looking through the world. Uh, out of the three word pictures Jesus gives us, the third one is that humans are servants. Read with me in verse 24. <clears throat> humans are servants. He says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot serve God and mammon. The third picture is that, Jesus, that Jesus is giving us is that humans are servants. We're servants. I think there's something really beautiful happening in uh, Generation Z. I get to pastor Ethos, which is a young adults uh, ministry. And one of the things that I admire about the generation coming after me is the dignity that, that is being restored in serving. Um, it's actually happening all around in our culture. We gawk when we see somebody acting pompous and arrogant, when we see in politics and, and politicians are acting outrageously, we think it's ridiculous, right? Because something in us knows that that's not the way that you're supposed to love and live. There's a, there's a groundswell of dignity being given to servanthood. That's why we bang pots and pans for first responders. Because there's a care, because something deep within us knows that to be human deep down is to be a servant. Why do we glorify those who endanger themselves for others? Why do we go out of our way to call them a hero? Because we know that that's beautiful. That's really what it means to be a human, to serve another person. And Jesus knows this. And the third example that Jesus gives us here reveals the same problem as the first two. It's not that, you know, you tre- you're a treasurer and that's bad. That's not it. You should treasure, but treasure the right thing. It's not that you're a seer and that's bad. No, you're a seer and you should see in the right light. It's not that you're a servant and that's bad. No, that's good. You're a servant. You can't choose that you are a servant, but you can choose whom you will serve. Jesus wants us to serve the right thing. And so then he he compares and he contrasts God with a kind of a strange word, mammon. Mammon. So what is mammon? Mammon, or wealth, is a a simple translation of mammon, uh, or pronounced mammonas. Mammon is an Aramaic word um, 
the language that Jesus probably preached in. And what it means is it's, mammon means obsessively treasuring worldly wealth. Okay? And if you're thinking, oh, that's awesome. No, Jesus has strongly negative connotation. Okay? It's very negative. Obsessively treasuring worldly wealth, Jesus is saying this is not a good thing. But the word in most Bibles isn't translated wealth. It's actually left untranslated as mammon. And why? Because Jesus is doing something very interesting. He's actually personifying the journey of treasuring worldly wealth. He's, a, he's personifying, he's making, a, he's making an image of a, of a little G God, a lowercase g God, and he's calling him mammon. And the ways of mammon are obsessively treasuring worldly wealth and riches and always wanting more and never having enough. And Jesus is contrasting, he's saying, you, you're a servant and that's a good thing and serving is beautiful and it's, and it's amazing and you'll feel great when you do it and others will feel blessed by it, but you need to be careful in who you serve. Will you serve God or will you serve mammon? I think mammon is uh, best captured in the word mine. It's mine, right? Some of you with kids know what I'm talking about. That's mine, right? I, my daughter is six years old. We had a birthday party for her. And there's all these beautiful little girls dressed in their princess dresses, all getting ready to smash this pinata. And in classic dad AFV style, I've got on like a broomstick out here, right? And I'm just like protecting myself. And, uh, and the bat was too big, in my opinion, that the kids were using. And so they're coming up and they're just whacking this thing, but they're six-year-old girls. They're not really doing anything to this pinata. And uh, then this little boy, the one little boy that came to the party gets the bat, right? And he just goes for it. And he just, he is whacking this thing with all his anger, all of his joy. And he's destroying this pinata. And the, and the candy explodes everywhere on the ground. And, and in a moment, my, my daughter and all her cute little friends uh, went from princesses uh, <laughs> into monsters, okay? Became, they became monsters, minds slapping each other, scratching each other, trying to get the candy. It was so important. And this is mammon, okay? Right? This is a picture of mammon. It happens in our world too. It happens in our lives too. This is what it means to walk in the way of mammon, obsessively wanting more. The best picture I've seen of mammon is uh, in the first movie of The Lord of the Rings, Maybe you know it. Do you know the clip where Bilbo and Frodo in the Fellowship of the Ring are meeting up in Rivendell? You know, you know, the, you know the clip? So Frodo is carrying the Ring of Power, and he comes to this sanctuary, this safe haven called Rivendell, and his uncle, who used to carry the ring, is there, and he's healing from his time from carrying the ring. And he sees Bilbo, or he sees uh, Frodo, and he says, can I, can I hold the ring one more time? And Frodo, knowing the power that the ring has over people recoils, right? He says, no, no, I don't want to give it to you. And, what, and I don't know how Peter Jackson and their CGI team did this, but what happens to Bilbo's face, right? Do you know the scene? He goes from being a, you know, fuddy-duddy old guy to demonized, and his teeth become fangs, and his, and his skin becomes stretched back, and he becomes this horrible beast for a moment, and he realizes what what's he's done. And this is, this is mammon. This is mammon. This is the evil that Jesus is talking about. 
What I find interesting about Jesus' teaching here is that he characterizes this mammon way of being as worship of a small God, of a small G God, of a false God. He says humans are servants, and that's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing to serve, but why would you serve a God like mammon? Look what it does to you. It turns you into a monster. It turns you into somebody who's fully conceited and thinking only about themselves and self-centered and, and just this ugly creature. Why would you do that? You get to choose who you can serve. You can, you can choose who you can serve. Look what it does to you. Do you want to stay that way? Now that we've heard what Jesus has to say, as we understand what he thinks about humanity, as we discover what makes us tick, what, we, we still have the question, <laughs> what do I do with all this worrying? So Jesus says, yeah, okay, now that we're on the same page, that you understand that I see you as a treasurer, that I see you as a seer and as a servant, now that you understand what it means, I can help you uh, realize how to overcome worry. Jesus is showing us that actually worry is incompatible. He's giving us a picture of what humanity is, this new creation that he's making you into. He's giving us this theology, and he's saying mammon And this whole way of living is actually incompatible. Worry is incompatible with the ways of the kingdom and the ways of God. Um, John Stott, who's a preacher, said, said this, to become preoccupied with material things in such a way that they engross our attention and absorb our energy and burden us with anxiety is incompatible with both Christian faith and common sense. What I think Stott is saying is that worrying is not just a bad idea, it's harmful to who you are. It's not human. It's not truly human. It's a part of the fall and it runs against the grain of what Jesus says about you. So we know that. We know that worrying is not good. We don't want to do it. So how do we stop? I think there's two ways that we try to deal with worry when it becomes overwhelming. The first, the first way that we try to deal with it on our own is, is we try to control the worry. We, could, we try to control the worry by embracing the worry and using that as a motivator to insulate ourselves from all of these outcomes that we can't control. We become obsessive about our worries. Uh, the old picture of a worry wart, right? We, 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 fully let the, we, we fully let the worry wash over us and we just itch at it and we make it, we make it become a way of our modus operandi, the way we, that we live. Um, this is what you act like if this is you, okay? You have nice things, and so you buy uh, nicer alarms, okay? And then you have the nice alarm, but that's not good enough. You need really nice insurance. And then because you have all of those things, let, let's say if you bought your dream car, okay? You bought your dream car, and now you have it in your garage. You're, you're protecting it properly, and every night before bed, you go downstairs, and you tuck your car in. You make sure that everything is perfect. Everything is fine. And then... A car door opens in the middle of the night. <gasps> My car, right? And this thing that you have tried to, you've tried to control the worry. You've, it, you've become the object. You're the, you're the thing that's owned, not the materialistic object. <laughs> that, that object owns you. Um, you let that worry drive you. What happens? It drives you toward your treasure and away from what will, really matters in life. By trying to be overcome by trying to overcome worry by embracing it, you let this become your God. It's always on your mind. 
This is you if you're, you live in an amazing place and you're surrounded by wonderful people, but you can't be present because you're thinking about that thing. You're trying to control the worry. Um, the, way, the way that I would describe this is a, is a false gospel. <laughs> it's a false belief in reality and what we can actually do. I like how William Ward, who's a missionary, a Baptist missionary, said it. He said, worry is faith in the negative, it's trust in the unpleasant, it's assurance of disaster and belief in defeat. It's a way of thinking, it's a worldview, it's broken and it's darkening uh, everything that we see. When we do this, we misunderstand the values of the treasures that we have, and we don't rightly treasure the things that we ought to. Controlling your worry doesn't work. If you don't believe me, go ahead and try. I think the second thing uh, that people try to do, and this is by my estimation the most common way that we try to deal with worry, is we try to avoid our worries. Uh, Like a kid who doesn't want to open his report card, or like a young adult who doesn't want to open their bank account, we're scared of what we might find out, okay? We're scared of, of what might be in the envelope, and so we try to avoid the worry. Um, I, was, I was with some friends this week. I was like, hey, do you ever, uh, you ever struggle with worry? I just straight flat denial. No, never. Never once. No. I'm like, really? Never? You never worry about it? Never. Mm-mm. I'm like, oh, hmm. Really? <laughs> right? Well, we don't want to admit it to ourselves. What if we admit it to ourselves that we actually do worry? That's not helping me avoid it. Conventional wisdom would say about our worry, avoid it, right? Don't worry. (laughs) Just be happy. You know the song, right? It's like put to a nice tune. It seems like good advice. But the more that I think about it, don't worry, be happy. It kind of sounds like, um, don't worry, just be better. (laughs) You know, stop worrying. Just be better at being happy, right? It doesn't, it's, how do I do that? Have you ever told somebody who's in in the midst of being overcome by worry, stop worrying, does it work? It doesn't work. Hey, man, just be happy. Right? Be happy. Don't worry. It doesn't work, but it is a religious mechanism of trying to control things that we can't control. Right? We don't, when we try to avoid worry, eventually we deny our feelings. We deny reality. We deny who we are. It doesn't work. Controlling our worry doesn't work. Avoiding our worry doesn't work. It's not a realistic solution. So we go, looking for, um, <laughs> we go looking for help in all the wrong places. People who avoid worry, you know, they, they're feeling the sense of worry, that dread coming on. And so what do we do? We run to the freezer and then we just drain a bucket of ice cream. <laughs> right? We try to comfort ourselves past this worry so we don't have to think about it anymore. But guess what? It doesn't work. The problem is still there in the morning. It doesn't work. Instead of trying to control our worry, instead of trying to avoid our worry, Jesus gives us a third option. And you may have noticed it. Jesus says, notice. He said, don't try to control it. (laughs) Don't try to avoid it. Notice the worry. And he asks the question, why are you worried? Why? Why are you worried? When you feel an overwhelming sense of worry, notice it. Take note of what you are worried about and ask yourself, what is scaring me? Am I worried? What am am I scared of? What am I afraid of losing? 
Now you're on the right path. Remember, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You can't serve God and mammon. When you feel a sense of panic, don't freak out, okay? Notice it. Notice the sense of panic. Notice the worry and ask yourself, why? Why am I worried? Just like Jesus does in, his, in this passage. Wherever there are big worries in your life, there behind the big worry is a tiny God and his name is Mammon. Okay, I like the scene in the Avengers, the first one. I'm old, so I watched the first one, right? And so the, there's this scene where all of the Avengers have been defeated, and Loki is standing up in Stark Industries Tower, and he's looking over New York, and he's saying, come and bow and worship me, right? And Hulk kind of comes in off the side of the camera. You know the scene I'm talking about? And Hulk grabs him by the ankles, and he just smashes him like five times, boom, 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 right into the concrete like four or five times. And then and Hulk just walks away and he huffs. He's like, tiny God. Right? <laughs> and actually, you go with me on this. Jesus is doing the same thing. Okay? Jesus is saying, hey, look at this clown. <laughs> look at this, this person, mammon, masquerading as a God in your life. Look at this worry. Look how, look how it's paralyzing you. And he comes and he shows you what it really is. It's just a tiny God. It's a tiny God. You have given your worship and your life to this thing called mammon and it's paralyzed you in this moment. What Jesus is doing is not different. We don't need to cower from our worry. We don't need to avoid it. We don't need to try to control it. Our worry is actually a signpost pointing us to a place where God wants to work in your life. It's a signpost saying, hey, Notice it. I'm worried about my kids. Notice it. I'm worried about my finances. Notice it. What is it that you are worried about? Perhaps this is where you have been serving the God of mammon rather than the God of love. Tiny gods create big worries. Um, If you find yourself in a pattern of worry, notice and realize the opportunity of spiritual transformation in your life. Notice that God wants to teach you something about himself, that our Heavenly Father cares for you. We're at the end of our time, so I just want to close with this last thought. What, What is Jesus showing us by pointing to the birds? Okay, Look with me at verse 26. It says, right, notice your worry. Notice your worry. Why are you worried? And he says, look to the birds. Verse 26, they do not sow, nor reap, nor gather crops into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Are you not much more important than they? Jesus is saying to us, why are you worried? Don't you understand that that worry doesn't help you, it actually hurts you? It makes your situation worse? You're like, yes, (laughs) yes, I understand that, but I don't know how to stop. Help me, how do I stop? Trust me instead. Lord, that doesn't help. (laughs) I'm trying to trust you and I don't know how. How do I go from not trusting you in this worry into following you? How do I go into that place? Jesus says, I'm gonna teach you something about trust. I'm gonna teach you what it means to follow me. I'm gonna gently reveal the areas of your life where you lack trust. Every time you worry. Lord, I'm worried about money. Help me out of this situation. What does he say? Look to the birds. 
You're like, Lord, (laughs) that's not a helpful response. What do you mean, look to the birds? Lord, I can't hold a job. I I can't keep friends. Anxiety takes a hold of my life. It wreaks havoc on every area. I'm sucking at school. Help me. What does God say? What does Jesus say to us? Look to the flowers. How is this this helpful to us? John Calvin once said, the birds and the flowers are preaching to us. The number of ways that God can speak to you through his creation is without count. I cannot number it. The point that Jesus is making about the birds and the flowers is not how they are like people, but instead, and listen closely, the point that Jesus is making is that not that birds and flowers are like people, but how people are different from creation. The birds and the flowers simply trust God. This is the poetic device he's saying. The birds and the flowers are preaching to us. Right? And what are they saying? Right? What is a, how does a bird preach? I don't know. Right? How does a bird preach, right? Listen. <laughs> Your God is so small. Look at me. I don't have a house. I trust God. Right? What is a bird? What, is a, what do you mean the birds are preaching? The birds are preaching to you. They're trying to explain to you something. They're trying to show you that these worries are pointing to a God that you worship that is not God. There's something behind this tiny, this worry that you have is a tiny God named Mammon. The same one in whom you put your faith is the one who holds your cares in his hands. He's the only one who can. Tiny gods that create big worries are incompatible with the kingdom of God. You need to remember who you are. You're you're a human, which makes you a treasurer. It makes you a seer. It makes you a servant. You can overcome worry if you treasure what is right. When you're worried, you're treasuring something that's not right. You can overcome worry when you see in the right light. When you're worried, you're not seeing in the right light. You can overcome worry when you serve God instead of mammon. Wherever you are worried, there, behind that massive, scary worry, is a tiny God named mammon. I don't want you to be disheartened. When you worry, it reveals a place in your life where God is saying, you're ready. So this is great news for those of you that are struggling, right? To trust God financially, to trust God emotionally, to to trust God in your relationships. Because God is saying, hey, we're ready to work on this. Now that you can see that this is actually a worry, that you can notice it, that there might be an idol here in your life, that there might be a small God, now you can trust me instead. Now you're ready. I want to be aware of the worries in my life. I want to know. I want to notice it. I want to look to the flowers, look to the birds, and hear them preaching to me to trust the Lord. So how do we do this? Uh, Really simply, I just wanted to give you some, some examples. I know we've talked about how to do this well, but even just some baby steps to really make it quite simple for us. The first thing we need to do is question our worry. When we, see, when we are worried, we want to notice it and question our worry and ask ourselves, am I treasuring the right thing? Am I seeing in the right light? Am I worshiping God or mammon? Once you've done this, reinvest your energy. Reinvest your energy into God and his kingdom. 
Again, come back to what God says is important. Seek the kingdom and his righteousness. And lastly, to receive today. To simply realize the gift that you have today. I think it was um, Kirk Franklin. You guys know who that is? Some of you guys? Old choir director, rap artist. He said, uh, worrying is paying interest on tomorrow's trouble. Okay? Worrying is paying interest on tomorrow's trouble. You don't have tomorrow yet. You don't have tomorrow. Receive today. Don't worry about tomorrow. Receive today your daily bread. I want to pray for us. Father, I pray for uh, each of my friends today, Lord, as we um, broach the idea of worry in our lives. We need help here, God. We need to know your love for us. We need to, uh, again, realize what you say about us. That treasuring is not wrong. That's trying to see things in the right light is not wrong. Lord, that serving is not wrong, but that we need to follow you. We need to look to you, remember what you say about us. Lord, I pray for areas of worry where people are uh, overwhelmed. God, I pray that we would uh, release control to you, that we would stop running, stop trying to avoid it, and notice what you're teaching us. Notice what you have to say to us in each of our worrisome moments. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca to find out more about getting involved in the life and mission of CA Church.